the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. it out but you know folks sometimes you get introduced to people um whether it's in person on the phone or whatever and there's just a, a click you just kind of you, you bond with that person on some level that is you, you can't really explain and uh i have a buddy from high school named bruce sharrett and uh he's a he's a brooklyn guy who became an la guy who became like a brooklyn la guy bouncing back and forth uh, and he introduced me to a guy who, you know, he said, oh, you're going to meet my friend Brett. Okay, Brett. You know, a lot of guys named Brett. Uh, I didn't realize when I met Brett, uh, I believe it was at the, where do you stay all the time? The Carlisle Hotel? Yeah. At the Carlisle Hotel. It was, it was Brett Ratner, who uh, basically is a household name for his un- incredible work in works in Hollywood um, as a director, as a producer, as a financer. And, you know, I love his story because he didn't grow up in Hollywood. He didn't grow up in the movies. He created that all on his own. I believe, Brett, your grandfather started out in the rat business. Is that correct? He, rat poison. He, he well, I would say that's still <laughs> eligible to be called to be in the rat business. I didn't you think remember, he bred them. Remember Decon? Of course. They still yeah. have them. Why? Are so they my, gone now, Decon? I don't know. But he, 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 uh, there's a drug called uh, Coumadin. Speaking of doctors, because you went to the doctor today in, order of, in honor of going to the – and I went to the doctor today I also. you got another good I report. went to a pulmonologist, Brian Gelman. You'll hear me coughing occasionally. It's post-COVID. I don't have COVID. Oh, so that says you. Everyone's yeah, safe. I would like some documentation <laughs> as to that. I took a but PCR okay. test today. But um, I, first Notice of all. he didn't say he's got the results. I live in LA. They just I, took the test. Yeah, I, I live in LA, and I came to New York just to go to the doctor because I only trust New York doctors. There we go. And I have to tell you, there's nothing more exciting. Not only staying at the Carlisle. I didn't always was able to afford staying at the Carlisle. I lived in the village, in the dorms, on University Place. But I grew up in Miami Beach, and. There's nothing more exciting than being in New York City. I literally have been locked in my house because of COVID with my grandma who recently passed away. But she was 98 years old and I did not leave my house for two years, as you know. And I've not, I was like dreaming of walking down the street in the middle of the night with my friends who sitting next to me and, and, and being able to like just walk. Just, we walked from his office to a Cuban restaurant half a block away, and it was the most exciting walk. <laughs> Nobody gave a shit who... Can I say oh, that's good. No, probably not, but my, Matt's on the button. Don't worry, we're okay. Oh, sorry. No, that's all right. Don't I'm, worry about it. We're nobody okay. gave a it's damn. I'm sorry. By the way, to be on AM radio is the most exciting <laughs> thing was... I've done in 20 years. This is the fact that people are driving right now home, wherever they live, to Queens, Brooklyn, the Bronx, Staten Island, wherever they are, listening to this, if they're listening, is the most exciting. You, could, you took me down too low. Now I got to. No, no, I, I can turn you off. Oh, okay. okay. Is the most exciting thing. So thank you for having me. For me to be on an AM radio show is beyond excitement to for me to be in new york city where i moved here when i was 16 to go to nyu first. well let's start off first though you you, uh, you start off at down in miami beach what's it like uh 
growing up in Miami Beach. Miami Beach is like a scene of cosmic proportion. It's like, as you know, Jews from New York, Jews from everywhere in the world migrate to Miami. Everyone's 90. When I grew up there, everyone was over the age of 80. <laughs> I lived in a building on Collins Avenue. But I loved, you know, I, I always loved old Jews, old Jewish men. I was friends with Meyer Lansky. I would walk. He was walk his dog every day. I would ride my bike. Um, one day I'll, it'll be in my book. You'll see. And and uh, and every day after school, I would hang on. People would call my mom and say, "Your son's on the street with Meyer Lansky. Aren't you scared something's gonna happen?" I didn't know who he was. I didn't know he was a gangster. I just thought this old guy would always talk to me. And um, there was an Italian restaurant in my building called the Villa Capri, which is like the most incredible Italian restaurant. I would go every Sunday with Meyer Lansky to eat in this in this restaurant. Now, when you were in Collins Avenue, were you down south towards South Beach, or were you no, up a little south towards Beach was north? like the hood. South Beach okay. was like the hood. My, I was like between forty, between the Fountain Blue, right, where the Eden Rock in the was. The forties, and I was well, no, I was in the fifties, but the forties is Fountain Blue. Next building is Eden Rock, where I was Bar Mitzvahed. Uh, but also, what about Mitzvah it was? Yeah, but I love the history because the Cabana's there, the Cabana's at the Fountain Blue. That's where Sinatra, who you, we, you and I both admire and love, um, you sang out all the best, you know, Shecky Green, all the best comedians, all the best, um, you know, bands would perform there. And of course, at the Deauville and the Beatles. And I mean, the history is incredible. By the way, people don't know this, but Miami Beach, people, th Miami Beach was what they thought Vegas was. Vegas was a SHIT kicker town. It was like, you know, boots, you know, and cowboy right. hats and, and, and mud. And like there wasn't in the beginning, but Miami Beach. If you didn't have a suit on in the fifties, right. you would get pulled over by the cops and and you know. Now you hold on, Brett Ratner. Yeah. You're much too young to know that. No, so who I, told you this? Maya Bruce, Lansky, Bruce told, Bruce Sharon told you that. Okay, told right. So we all know Bruce Sharon <laughs> yeah. on this show. So um, now, so you went to high school there. You went to uh, yeshiva. Before or? I went to high school, I went to Hebrew school. And my dream for when I was eight years old was to be a movie director. I told everybody every day, one day I'm going to be a movie director. Literally. And what, what was your inspiration? You see Pinocchio? I saw or... Raging Bull. At eight. I was, I was actually 10. It was 1980. I'll never forget. And I saw Raging Bull. And I said, how did this guy make this movie? I just, my mom, my mom was so cool. I could watch R-rated movies, whatever. She didn't care. And your mom was a very young mom. Yeah, she had me at 16. I lived in one house with my mom, my grandparents, and my great-grandmother. Wow, that's fantastic. And, and, and we lived in one house. And, and Is this the grandma who just passed away? No, my gr her, her mother. Okay. My grandmother's mother was my roommate. Till I was no, no, but but your grandmother who you lived with as a kid, is that the grandma who just passed away? She lived in the house. Your but, mom's but, mom. I, but her mother was there with us. I got you. Yeah. I got you. Okay, so all of us. So it was like three women um, in the family. And I, I told them every day, my grandparents were doctors, and every day I would tell them, I want to be a movie director. And they'd be like, okay, great. Whatever you want to do, you could do. You know, they're very supportive, very loving. And but I knew nobody. I mean, I might as well have been from. from well, you knew people in the rat business, yeah, the, rat, exactly. the rat poison business. Yeah, yeah. And actually, I don't even know that side of my family, you okay. know, because I was on the, you know, my my mom's Cuban. All well, Jew that's why you go crazy with the Cuban yeah. food. Oh, okay. uh, yeah, because it reminded me of my childhood. But right. we're all Jews. It's okay. we're called Jubins. We call right. in Miami. And Only on the Idala Power. You have Brett Ratner, <laughs> coining the team. Jubin. Jubin. All right. And and uh, as I was, you know, living in this house. I was just dreaming of being a film director, you know, and I didn't know it. I'd never seen a film being made. I, you know, and then one day, one day, um, someone told me, some kid's school, you know, they're filming a movie on South Beach. I'm like, what? I skipped school that day. I go down the set and it's Scarface. Wow. And I hang out every day for maybe two months. Played hooky. Played hooky. And I told my mom, mom, I'm not going to school anymore because they're filming a movie. She's like, that's fine. What grade are you in? God, I was 12. 
Okay, like sixth, seventh grade, yeah. whatever. And I said, I'm skipping school. I'm not, you know, I go down there with my friends, but then I, my friends got bored because you just sit around and watch, like, watch. Being that I said, the film was like watching paint dry. Right. But I saw Oliver Stone. I saw Brian De Palma. Oliver Stone wrote Scarface. I saw Brian De Palma, Al Pacino, of course. And and they knew me by my name, but they thought I was like the grip or the gaffer's son because I was like hanging out every day. And I would go and I at first I would I would be shy. So but then I would go to the catering. I mean the the um, the food the, the food the, the, yeah what is it called the uh, craft huh? craft service. service I'm sorry uh, yeah I would go to the craft service table and then I would start eating. and then one day one day uh, the uh, AD put me in a scene and said tell the listeners Brent Rana what's an AD an assistant director. And he said, remember the scene when he does the tongue thing and he shows a little boy? That was me at first, but then the, the director said, oh, no, Brett's too old. Put him in the pool. So I'm in the background of that scene. Are you serious? And then, and then that little boy was my cousin who I was babysitting that day and watching, okay? And I'm in that scene. If you go watch that scene right now, I'm in a raft in the pool in the background. And Stephen Bauer, who played Manolo, became my friend. But we're going to go in the Sinatra room, and I'm going to okay. find it on Net Netflix, yeah, we're gonna and, we're gonna, and you're going to circle it who it is. I'm going to show you. Put and, a screen grab that, on that, my Facebook page. I saw that movie. And I was like, oh my, I feel like I thought Al Pacino was really Cuban. I didn't know, you know, and I thought it was really Cuban because the whole time he was in character. And I said, wow. And I really, I kept getting closer and closer and closer to the director. And at first I'm like, oh, I want to be an actor. And then I realized, you know what? I don't want to be an actor. I want to be the guy telling him what to do. I don't want to be doing it. I want to be the guy. I see the problem. Tell him something. I listen to him giving him direction. And then I saw him do it. And then it all, the dots all connected. You know when? When I saw the movie. Because I was there watching them make it. And that experience gave me the kind of the fortitude and the understanding to like, wow, I could do this when I saw it being done. And, and you then, were 12, 13 years old. I was 12, 13, old. and I thought about it every day. I told my mom I was too smart for the kids in my class. She, I, she complained. I was going to Hebrew school at the time. I skipped two grades. So I was ending up, that's how I ended up being the shortest kid in my high school, but I was also the youngest. I graduated 16. I said, where did Martin Scorsese go to school? He went to NYU. Well, that's where I'm going to go. I applied. I go for an interview, all right? And when I go for the interview, the, the woman's I set, setting up my projector to show my little film. And the interviewer says to me, um, excuse me, we don't look at films here. I'm like, wait, am I in the wrong building? Is this not NYU Film School? Yeah, we, looked at, we look at grades. We look at academics. I said, no. You said, no, no, you don't understand. She goes, no, you don't understand. We're not looking at your film. She opens up my grade. She goes, young man, you have the worst grades of any student that's ever applied to the school. What <laughs> makes you think you're going to get in? You better go to Dade Community College for two years, get straight A's, and then maybe we'll consider letting you in. All right, hold on. I'll finish the rest after yeah, the commercial. I, yeah, I want to tease everyone because we're going to go to the bottom of there. Boy, is this time flying by for me. You know, did you ever see the movie Batman Begins? Of course. Yeah, Imran Ansari, he was a big producer on that flick. Yeah, yeah. Or, or actually, was it a grip? It was one of those things. But he, he was, what were you? Camera assistant, right. So we're all here. Um, we're having a party in my law office. I know there's like 18 people in here right now. Uh, it's very exciting. My phone is blowing up. Oh, my God, you got Brett Ratner. How would you get Brett Ratner? Well, yes, we have Brett Ratner. Um, we're going to hear the news, uh, and we're going to be back in like 120 seconds as fast as Sam Bellino can get back. We're going to hear about NYU. We're going to hear about all the movies, the films, the music videos, Grandma, and New York City. We'll be right back. We're back to the Arthur Idala Power Hour with New York City's preeminent trial attorney and quintessential New Yorker, attorney Arthur Idala. 
6.30 on Tuesday, live and local. The only live and local show on here in New York City right now on your AM dial. And we have an unbelievable guest, Brett Ratner, who was so excited. He goes, what are you, is this on Sirius XM? What did I go, no, it's on 9.70 AM. He goes, AM, I love AM radio. This is so cool. So Brett was in the middle of telling us how he got on I, to got into NYU. Yeah, so, so I'm at the, I'm at the interview with uh, with the admissions office, and the, the lady looks at my grades and says, "Young man, you have the worst grades of any student that's ever applied to this school. You need to go to Dade Community College. You're from Miami. Get straight A's for two years, and then maybe we'll consider letting you in." I said, "No, you don't understand." She goes, "No, you don't understand." She goes, "You're not getting in," and they're not supposed to tell you that. Like if you hurt yourself, they you know they usually send you a letter like two weeks later. I walk down the street. I literally think my life's over. I'm wearing like a three-piece corduroy suit with a vest. Nice. And I go to the payphone to call my mom, collect, and I see someone wearing a sweatshirt, an NYU sweatshirt, and I go, excuse me, where's the dean's office? And it came, And literally, he is on the eighth floor of that building. I walk up to the building, to the eighth floor, and she has a little old secretary with a little appointment book, and I said, hi, I'm Brett Ratner. I'm here to see the dean. They said, do you have an appointment? By the way, I'm 16 at the time. And they, I, they said, I said, no. They said, okay, three months from now, on the third Thursday of the month, you can see the dean in five for 10 minutes. I said, miss, this is life or death. And she says, hold on, fine, I'll go get him. And I go and sit down, and I literally felt like Charlie Sheen in Wall Street waiting for Gordon Gecko to let right. him into his office. And I'm like, I better make this good. And literally calls me in the office. I said, you, you know, she goes, Dean, there's a student out there that says it's an emergency. Can you see him for five minutes? Yeah, let him in. I go, Dean, my whole life I dreamed of being a director. I said, if you don't, I just I came from the admissions office. The admissions woman wouldn't look at my short film, said that, you know, I should go to another school. My dream was to go to NYU Film School. Martin Scorsese went here. I said, if you let me in, I'll still make films, but I'm going to probably be living on my mom's couch for the rest of my life. And she said, get this young man's file on my desk by tomorrow morning. I said, Dean, you're not going to like what's in the file, okay? But I promise you, if you let me into this school, I'm going to make it. I'm going to be a big director one day. Three weeks later, I go back. I have one of these pathological positive moms who's like, don't worry about it. Let's wait to see what happens. You know, I get the envelope. I open it. Scariest moment of my life. It says you've been accepted to NYU. Wow. Give me a round wow. of applause. Yeah. Me. Come on, yeah. Sam Bola. Bust it out. <laughs> Brett Ratner, folks. Yeah, there you go. There that's you. how that's he got wanted. That, that's how he <laughs> got into NYU. But and- it was it was a defining moment because I got a yes after I was told no. And it just gave me the, you know, it's just. The chutzpah. That's yeah, what it gave me, the chutzpah and, to get through this crazy and career. And can I tell you something? There was nothing better than going to college in new york city especially as a filmmaker well hold on you were 16 16 i mean you weren't old well back to, i mean we're the same age exactly within months well so you were able to sneak in a couple of bars and things like oh, no, that no no right? i would go to peggy sue's on university place my friend the Fahey's owned it all the firemen hung out there and uh so you Jul- were part of the nightlife yeah yeah i would go age. out i felt guilty because i hadn't accomplished anything and everybody at nyu was older than me and they were sons or daughters of famous people but i'll tell you Walking down the street and shooting films in New York City, any direction you point in, every, I mean, you know, people say, oh, you know, Brett, you're so smart. I said, you know what? I don't really have a high IQ. I have a high EQ. And it's from growing up in the streets of New York. So when I say growing up, I moved here when I was 16. I dreamed of going to like, you know, hanging out at Dorian's. And I, you know, when I moved here, I used to go to Columbus. And what's his name just died? The owner of Columbus. Um, He just passed away. And yeah and so so for me it was it was like the greatest education walking down the street i'm going to go to the milk bar we'll go to all the places you know so let me ask you let's yeah. fast forward if you're going to do a mount rushmore yeah of your life in hollywood yeah who are the four faces on mount rushmore for, for you just for you not not in terms of who's the best 
Brett Ratner's four faces, you're creating your Mount Rushmore of the world of Hollywood, and it can it encompass directors, producers, <sighs> actors, actresses, whatever you want to do. Go. Putting you on the spot. Come on, brother. That's hard. Come on. I'm a lawyer. You know, we, a judge gives me a curveball. I got to hit it. Yeah. Come on, hit you know it. What? Um, let's Don't see. choke, Brett Ratner. I won't Don't choke. choke. Um, I, I would say my my four mentors. Go ahead. Robert Evans. Go ahead. Um, I would say James Toback, who's sitting next to me. Uh, Warren Beatty. Wow. And I would say um, it's controversial, but Roman Polanski. Okay. I would say, you know, they're great filmmakers. But for me, it's what I what was great about, you know, I had great mentors and mentors are very important. But growing up in New York, being in New York City, making f short films. I mean, I'll just tell you one really quick story. Didn't you start doing music videos? Yeah, but that was after NYU. But while okay. I'm at NYU, I would go to Washington Square Park every day. I would see all the comedians, all the performers. And there was a comedian in the park. Um, oh, damn it. I can't remember his name. Now, right when we're Thank you for not cursing. I appreciate yeah. it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> my, my comedians. Um, oh, damn. Anyway, um, oh, he got. He was the first black guy who got uh, a part on SNL. It's the reason why why um, Eddie Murphy. So he got fired. He okay. was on drugs, and Eddie Murphy got that part instead. And that's what made he he kind of passed the baton. He he since passed away. But no, not Garrett Morris. It was another guy. And after he was a stand up comedian, and after he would he would perform in the park. Him and the guy who would collect his change was Dave Chappelle. Wow. Dave Chappelle would collect all the change. They would come up to my dorm room in NYU and literally count all the money. And I grew up, I, my, my education was sitting in that park and watching this comedian and Dave Chappelle and all the other great comedians that were in the park. And that's why ultimately Rush Hour happened, and I'm skipping a, a way ahead, but that's why I ended up directing a movie like Rush Hour because I just fell in love with comedy. Not only at the comedy clubs, but on the street, you know, in the park. And... Um, I just think that New York City, to me, is the greatest city in the world. And wow. I, I could now you got all kidding aside. You, you speak from a person who grew up in Miami, yeah. lives in L.A., yeah. and you know obviously spent a substantial time here. Now, well, well, just so you know, Brett, this whole show that I do for yeah. an hour every day is all about New York being okay. the greatest city in the yeah. world. So Here's, uh, I'll you give know, you a few. You're, you're a cheerleader that I didn't even know you. I'll give a you a few reasons. One is the people first and foremost. The most real people, as you know. In the world, it doesn't matter. The, you know, East Coast somehow breeds the coolest people. You know, in the world, the most real. Don't care who you are. You're not being judged in L.A. Everywhere I go, I feel like people are looking at me, judging me. You know, looking who I'm with, what I'm doing, studying. And this me. is Brett Ratner talking. And so nobody, he's, nobody, but, he's but, yeah. afraid of being judged. No, no, but also nobody, nobody. You know, here nobody cares. Everyone's doing something with their life. In Miami, I love. I grew up in Miami, but no one has a job. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's partying in Miami, right? New York is the, the, the best place on earth. And, and I'll give you my five favorite. If and I you've been, by the way, Brett Renner's literally been all over the world. I, I called him the world. other day, yeah, answers yeah. the phone. I'm like, where are you? He's like, I'm in Paris. I just yeah. left London, and tomorrow night I'm going to sleep in Milan. Okay. Yeah. God bless. So, I guess you don't have a four month old. No. Okay. But I'll tell you my favorite, my, some of my favorite spots. When I come straight to New York City, when I arrive in New York City, either LaGuardia or JFK, if it's early, early in the morning, I go to B&H Dairy for some Polish breakfast. Best breakfast in the world, okay? <laughs> I used to go to Second Avenue Deli. Of course, it's not there anymore. Then I will go for lunch. I will go to, first of all, to Serendipity for a frozen hot chocolate because there it brings me back to my, right there. There yeah, you go. my childhood. It's just, yeah, it's the best 
bre- um, frozen hot chocolate is the greatest thing on earth. And if you're, and it's a, it's a Shonda. When I go to New York City and I go to Serendipity and I'm sitting next to some tourists and they're eating a chocolate sundae, I just say, you got to stop eating. How that right is now. it shooting a movie in New York? The is gr- it harder, the way, easier? I, my first movie I shot in New York was a movie called The Family Man. I don't know if you guys saw it with Nicolas Cage and Taylor Leone, the most personal film I ever made. And I shot in the Washington Muse across from uh, the dorms at University Place. And there was no better feeling because it was the streets where I shot my little student films. I remember being on the set of James Toback's Money, the Pickup Artist, when I was a kid. What year was that film? 1984. 1984. So this is before. So I'm you never, were 17. Yeah, be, no, 16. I was 15. I was okay. like, yeah, I was just in New York. I was coming to New York City. No, it wasn't in 84. It had to be 86 or 87. Uh, it came out in 80, 86 or 87. Okay. It doesn't matter. I was on set. It was the coolest thing I'd ever seen. I mean, I hung out with Abel Ferrara on, on, you know, on the set with Abel Ferrara and seeing him, you know, shoot movies on the streets of New York. Scorsese. I mean, Ed, Ed, New York. You'd rather shoot movies in New York or in L.A.? Oh, my God. Are you kidding? It's not you close. No. Chicago? You, Does Chicago get I shot, I created a show series called Prison Break. Right. I shot in Chicago. It was amazing. Great food. I gained 20 pounds eating, you know, all the desserts and all the great food there, steaks and chops or whatever. But New York City is the greatest city in the world. And... Um, it for- what what has uh, real quick in the last two years with the COVID going on? Yeah, how what's the happened to your industry? <laughs> well, it's changed, and not only just well, COVID streaming. Listen, everybody, the streaming was accelerated because of COVID. The it was like a five year plan. Disney Plus, all these studios, you know, Netflix, obviously. You know, was the first. Plus, everybody was everybody was kind of had this five year plan, and all of a sudden, everyone's home. And it accelerated it times a thousand. And it was great, actually. Believe it or not, there was a lot of negatives being stuck in your house. But being home, watching all the content, watching all the movies, watching it changed our business. Our business has completely changed. For the better or the worse? Both, or a little both good okay. and bad. Because why? There's a, there's a, it's, a, it's a global, you know, the globalization of film has happened. Meaning the hottest show on, on uh, you know, streaming is, a, is, a, is just for example, Fauda or, or Tehran, an Israeli, you know, local show. So before, you know, subtitled shows, international shows, I wasn't getting to see them unless you were kind of seeking them out. Now, now the world is seeing a show from a localized, you know, uh, place like Israel or Arab are Spain. The, are movies being filmed now as we speak? Around the world, everywhere. Yeah. Around the world. Yeah. So the whole COVID lull has yeah. been set aside. All right, well, you know how lucky you are, guys, all listening, because I feel so lucky. We're talking to Brett Ratner, who's directed, produced more movies literally than he can count, because I asked him, <laughs> and he goes, I don't know, more than I can count. <laughs> so we're taking a 120-second break, and we're going to come back, and we're going to talk about the Rolling Stones and, yeah. and uh, everything Brett knows about them. <laughs> I'll never be your beast of burden. All right, that's Brett. That's not my back is broke, but it's a hurt. Brett Ratner with a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. 
Um, wait, wait, they didn't hear that. Say that again. Brett Ratner, <laughs> who has a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame, uh, and was, I will tell you this, what, what impressed me so much about Brett was the way he took care of his grandma in her late years. Um, she passed away, I believe, was 98 years old. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. And because uh, when Brett and I hung out uh, during a little bit during the COVID period, he was like uber careful, double masked and all that stuff, even when he was hanging out with me because he couldn't then go back home. And, um, and you should have been careful because your baby was coming in a few days. Yeah, right? in a few days. Yeah, my <laughs> wife let me out. But, um, you know, our condolences to you, Brett. Yeah, but you are, you. I mean, you should be in the Hall of Fame for grandsons uh, and how they took care of grandma. Yeah. Um, and, and your grandma. Well, yeah. good boy. I mean, I'm a good boy doing good things. What is your most, this is a, a question from one yeah. of our listeners. What is your most memorable Hollywood experience? Oh, my God. So many. Um Give me one. Nobody's going to know if it's number one or the number, number five. One. Give okay. me one. Just give me one. One of my memorable experiences. I mean, Where I, something went really bad or something went no, really no, good? No, no, no. I'll, I'll tell you the good ones. Um, let me see. I. Um, oh, my God. See this, folks? This That's is what hard. you call you, stage fright. This, no, this no, is stumping you. Fright. What's one of the greatest I, moments I, I, of your life? Oh, I don't know. Uh, I mean, you know, I'm a little jaded. I've been, I've had so much fun in Hollywood. Um, one of the greatest memorable experiences was. I think, um, oh God, one of my stories. You remember? Okay, I mean, I don't have to. You're gonna punt, pass, man. All right, let's talk about how you know Mick Jagger. Okay, well, here's what I was telling you before about Charlie. Oh, the the black comedian's name was Charlie Barnett, the one in the park. Okay, and Dave Chappelle was his protege. So these are the type of people that I would come across. And when I uh, made a film at NYU, my film was called Whatever Happened to Mason Reese. I met him on the street. He was a child star from the 70s. He was in, in, in smorgasbord, smorgasbord commercials, deviled ham commercials, remember? Yep. He was on Mike Douglas. He was like, and I saw him. I said, oh, my God, I want to make, put a movie, make a movie around, about, around him. And I did the short film because your film is like your resume. Right. Your short film is literally like your resume because you have that film. You graduate and you, you know, you're supposed to get, get you work. And basically what happened was I did this film. Mason Reese broke his leg in the middle of shooting. There we go. And sues me in NYU. And now my first paid six article comes out. There okay? we go. And it brought some attention to it. And all of a sudden, an agent from William Morris named Erica Spellman Silverman, her husband was named Ethan Silverman. He was like a playwright, decides to come to the NYU Film Festival. See, nowadays we have YouTube. Nowadays you can be a kid right. in, in, in middle America. Nice and, peak, right, anywhere, right. You, can make a, you can make a short film and Spielberg can see it. Uh, you know, online and, and like, you know, give you a job, right? But back then there was nowhere to place my short films. Maybe HBO was buying a short film every six months if it was really amazing, right? So this agent comes, sees my film. I end up winning, thank God, the festival with my film. But she sees it and says, ask me for a meeting. My first Hollywood-type meeting was a meeting at William Morris Agency here in New York. And wow. she said, I want to be your agent. I said, I'm not ready. I'm a kid. I'm an NYU she says, COVID, she, says, COVID no. she says, no, I think you're a star. I think you're going to be a big director, and I want to represent you. I said, well, you can represent me, but let's. I'm not going to meet anybody. She, then she says, okay, Jeffrey Katzberg's going to be in New York. Can you meet him? I said, no, I'm not ready to meet him. I'm not ready to make a film. What am I going to talk about? I, well, I mean, you were a pretty pushy kid to go meet the dean of NYU. Why wouldn't you meet with Jeffrey Katzberg? Because I wasn't ready. All I, right. I didn't feel you were ready. ready to go into NYU with all D's because on your wanna, report. Yeah, card, I wanted to learn. Okay. I want to learn how to make films. I don't right. want to. I don't want to start schmoozing with Hollywood. I people. understand. Listen, and, I wish Imran had that same idea before he came to work at <laughs> the law firm. Like you want to got here when he was ready. But exactly. Only joke. But I passed. I passed on every single meeting she asked me to have except one. She said Mick Jagger has a company called Jagged Films. Wow. 
and this woman named Victoria Pearman runs the company. And I don't know if Mick's going to be there, but he might. And you should go to the meeting. And it's on, I'll tell you, it was on West End. It was on 80. I might be wrong. He, had a, he lived on 80. It was on a white townhouse. I'll never forget it. I think so it was this on, is in the 80s? No, this was in 90, oh yeah, 1989. Or 90. It was like Wow, so you know him 32 years. Yeah. Oh, sweet so, mother so of my pearl. my first meeting, my first, quote, Hollywood meeting, business meeting, is with, with Victoria Pearman and Mick Jagger walks in. Wow. And he says. What was he wearing? I don't know. <laughs> he was wearing spandex. There you go. <laughs> and, a, and, oh. a, and a tank top. And was he cool? The coolest, first of all, he's Mick Jagger, so that's besides the point. But was he but nice, I guess? He was, was he so polite, nice, and he a young down. boy. You were a young man. I was a young, young kid, but I was, you know, I guess they told him I'm this hotshot, talented filmmaker, and he pitched. Now, it's usually you go to a meeting, and you have to pitch the idea. He's pitching He you. starts pitching me, and I'm sitting there in awe that my first Hollywood meeting, my first pitch, anything, was Mick Jagger pitching me in story, and this is his pitch. I always wanted to make a film where the Rolling Stones were in a film, but they didn't actually have to participate necessarily or act. And I said, well, what do you mean? He said, well, I had this idea where the film was centered around our world tour. And it's kind of like a Robert Altman film where there's all these different characters you're following, a Japanese uh, couple that won on a game show, the opportunity to work in the catering on a Rolling Stones tour, right? Or, and a girl that runs away from home and her father's a Stones fan, and she doesn't really know the Stones, but she meets a guy, and she goes on tour with the Stones, and he's pitching me the story, and the father could be Jack Nicholson. He's, like, giving me, like, who the who, – Right. Right. And, the and, and all these characters are intertwining, and there's one – and then he says, here's the clincher. There's two people at every Stones concert, the same two guys, and that they're at every show, and they hold up a sign. And every time I do a song, or Mick does a solo or whatever – they hold up a card with Keith a, does a solo. I'm sorry, Keith it's does okay. a solo, and they do hold up a card and has it's number one through ten. And if I'm really bad and I didn't do my best, they hold up like a six. And I'm like, how do these guys know when I'm bad? <laughs> they go to every show. They know when I suck. So this is what he's telling you he's on your first me, meeting. Yes, he's pitching me this. These two guys that go to every show, they're following me every city they see him in. Finally, he says to Keith, Keith. Let's just invite these guys and ask them questions, see who they are. Because literally their cards are, t are reading the songs, <laughs> rating the songs as they're holding it up. And, of course, they're just huge mega fans. They turned out to be true story. They turned out to be doctors that gave up like six months of their practice to come follow the Stones on Twitter. You know this. is like the Steel Wheels story. Something, yeah. Right. And so literally they invite them backstage. And they love these guys so much. They're like, come on, let's go. Come with us. Just tr you might, you're at every show anyway. Just ride on the jet with us. Wow. And they take these guys with them. And I don't know if this part is true or not, but it was a great story. And basically, that's supposed to because this is how I want Brad Pitt and Ben Stiller to be the two doctors. Wow. And they're intertwined. So whatever happened with this flick? So I was like literally on this for like five years. He attached me as the director. And you have to develop, you have to find a writer. And I become friendly with Wes Anderson, who becomes a great director. But Wes Anderson, because every the first Stones, the first movie he did, or second movie, I don't remember, had tons of Stones music in it. He always wanted to put a Stones, huge Stones fan. And that's the director that wears like jackets that are half his size, you know, right. don't fit him very well. They're really tight. And and I remember Mick was staying, oh God, what was the, at the, at the, um, I think at Plaza Athena, one of these hotel, fancy hotels. And I, and I said, Mick, can you meet him? Because I think he will be a great guy. He's a director, but I think he should write the script. Okay? I think he should write the script. And Mick says, okay. So the guy walks in. 
Wes Anderson, greatest guy, nicest guy. And I said, Mick, this guy's a genius writer. Trust me. He's got, he's really would only write his own script, but he wanted to have that meeting. Just like I wanted to have that first meeting with right. Mick. And he comes in and he goes, well, this is, Mick says, oh, he pitches in the same pitch that he pitched me years before. And I'm sitting there with a big smile on my face going, hoping he's going to love it. And he goes, okay, well, here's my conditions. Um, I need a copy of Something Sucker Blues, the film that never got released. I need to see that. I need the B-side of this vinyl. I need, I mean, like literally he starts demanding all these things that he wanted from Mick Jagger, like as a collector, as a fan, a weird thing. Oh, and then he goes, right. and I'll be back. I'm going to go to the bathroom. And Mick says, who the hell does this guy think he is? I go, give him whatever he asks. If he asks for this stuff, just give it to him, please. He goes, Brad, I don't know about this. Please. I'm like, Mick, please. I'm begging you. I'm begging you. Anyway, he didn't end up doing the movie. Mick wouldn't give him the stuff that he was asking for. It was like an extortion. Tell me real quick, what's Keith Richards like? I haven't really hung with Keith because they don't, you know. They don't I'm, really hang. It's not a big secret. Yeah. They Mick don't, and Keith. Yeah, they I work together. I've seen him backstage. Hey, Keith, what's up? Da, da, da. Mick is, is by the way, you know, went, went to the London School of Economics. No, he's brilliant. He's guy, brilliant. Man. Brilliant guy. And I've been friends with him for many, many years and uh, love going to his shows. And should when we, I met Arthur and he told me he was such a great yeah, Should fan. we tell my wife now that we're on the air? We're going to Paris, right? Is that the plan? We're going to Paris June. Is it July, June? July, July 23rd. 23rd. Right. The Stones are performing in Paris. Arthur's going to come. Can I'm you gonna... tell me the Donald Trump story in 45 seconds? In 45 no? seconds? It's too hard. All I'm right. Gonna... All right. I don't even know what it is. <laughs> I got a great day. I got a... Are you allowed to tell us what's next for Brett Ratner? It's, it's April of 2022. It's April 2022. Yeah, I, we both have Band-Aids on our arms. We, we both, both got been, blood uh, tests exactly. today. I'm, listen, I was supposed to be here one day. I wasn't going to do this. I stayed another day to be in New York City, to be with Arthur in New York City. Look at that. We're matching. We're matching. <laughs> to be on AM radio. Yeah, baby. This is one of the great experiences of my life. Wow. Being with you guys, hanging with you guys. Um, put, please put uh, uh, um, um, a picture of me on Instagram where I look cute. So I can, you know. <laughs> That's all right. I'm, I'm not married. Shit. I have no kids. I'm Jewish. I'm like, so you're on the market? I, I'm, I'd like to find a wife one day. Um, and uh, have one a, day soon. Have a, one day soon. We're the a, same age. I just is, had a baby. He's you kind of a young person. Sport. You inspire me. You are a family man. For, for those of you who haven't seen my movie, Family Man, he is the real family man. I'm looking at pictures. I'm, you have four or five kids. I got, I got four. I got three oh, okay. kids. Okay. I just got a lot of different pictures. Okay. Okay. That's all. But anyway, uh, I, I love you. I, I love being your friend. I love the fact that you're a lawyer, that you could sue anybody that messes with me. That's it. And we <laughs> got Brett Ratner's back. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, tonight was Brett Ratner. We're so happy on the Idola Power. We're going to have a Another great show tomorrow. Thanks, Matt Sambola, for doing a great job. Brett Ratner on AM yeah. 970. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.